Father God, we thank you for bringing us to the beginning of this day. We thank you for making us fit and well enough to come out to church. Maybe for some of us in spite of our aches and pains and our, our worries and our busy workload. Thank you for bringing us here this morning. And we ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, will just minister to us what we need. Lord, you, you're speaking to our hearts and minds the truths that we need to hear. And you'll give us the strength to go out and know you more and more each day, living in your power and strength and your love, we pray. Be with us here, we pray, as, as we sing praises, as we hear your word preached, as we go through that precious time of taking that bread and wine in memory of Jesus. Lord, be in every aspect of this morning, be with the young people, be with the children, as they have their separate groups. We ask for your presence with us, and we thank you for the promise of your presence. Amen. And let's pray for dads. We pray today for dads. New dads, granddads, stepdads, adoptive dads and solo dads. Baldy ones, beardy ones, skinny ones and cuddly ones. Dads who tell bad jokes and dads who dance to YMCA. Dads who know how to fix things and dads who just pretend. Father to the fathers, we pray for those for whom this day is sadder than it is happy. Those who feel they have failed. Those who are grieving children they never had. Those missing their dads or their children even more than usual. Father God, in a world where some dads are distant, absent or even abusive. We lean into your ever-present love. You are faithful, especially to those who are orphaned, abandoned and hurt. We thank you that your word says, even if my father abandons me, the Lord will hold me close. Father of comfort, heal our wounds, restore the dignity, integrity, and centrality of fatherhood in our nation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our reading, our first reading today is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in the deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. 
And our second reading today is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's nice to be with you, yes. John's right, I haven't been playing hooky for six months. And, um, yes, working with these three churches, which I have loved doing and would continue to do, um, but I've missed you, so it's nice to be here. I apologise for um, doing the Dave Allen impression this morning. <laughs> it's interesting who's laughing, you're giving your age away. <laughs> yes, for those who don't see Bender's nosy. For those who don't know, Dave Allen was an Irish uh, stand-up comedian who sat down. He just had three props, um, his bar stool, his glass of whiskey, and his cigarette. And he sat and told very engaging stories. Um, I'm just having one of his, <laughs> one of his, uh, I still love a glass of whiskey, uh, I'm going to have one of his props this morning. Because I, well, earlier this week I had a steroid injection in my hip, and the doctor was not wrong when he said it will get worse before it gets better, and I'm in considerable pain this morning. Uh, and I won't know for another week or ten days whether it's going to work or not. <laughs> Is it better? Anyway, we'll see. So maybe next week, uh, when I'm on again, uh, basically, um, I might be leaping around like Ben, though actually not like Ben. I don't think I could compete with him. <laughs> but Ben has very kindly invited me to, to join him in this series of five on Big Church, Little Church. And I suspect part of the reason for that is that way back in 1998, I did a three-month sabbatical studying the cell church. And I went out to Singapore for six weeks. I went to the International Cell Church Conference, which was a fantastic experience. Lived with the Faith Community Baptist Church, which is a cell church that had grown from 50 to 10,000. And I lived with the cells for six weeks. Absolutely fantastic experience. And I can tell you a lot about it, and you may be in time I will. Um, came back here for the, for the, second, the second six weeks of the sabbatical, read 3,000 pages on the cell church, and went with another colleague to visit four Anglican cell churches around this country. So um, I'm very keen on it. <laughs> so I suspect that's why uh, Ben has asked me to um, very kindly take part in this with him. Um, and we're thinking about big church and little church, and our uh, topic or title this morning is Becoming Disciples. And for that, the small group, I would have to say, is the best place for making disciples. It's not something that happens in a few weeks. Becoming a disciple takes a lifetime. And the church in the UK has tended to be quite good at short courses uh, in helping people become Christians, Alpha and Start and Christianity Explored and so on. 
slightly less good, but not bad, at follow-up uh, with um, nurture groups. Uh, but very poor, really, at helping people go on from nurture stage to maturity. And that's what we're aiming for, isn't it, in our reading from Ephesians 4 this morning. Um, God's purpose, according to Paul, is that we might all grow up to maturity in Christ. We make it our aim, he says to the Colossians, to present every person mature in Christ. But after the nurture group stage, we so often leave them to it. I wonder if you agree with our Archbishop Justin Welby, who says that since the 1950s, the church has been weak in this country because we have failed to make disciples. It's a strong thing to say, isn't it? Well, in, in, in what he says, he claims there are a number of reasons for that, and I'll mention two of them, if I may, which are relevant to us this morning. He suggests, not, not these aren't his words, but I'm putting them in, in, in our words, that we rely too much on big church and not on little church to do the disciple-making, and we haven't built solid enough, strong enough foundations in people's faith. Well, let's have a look at those two things. Shall we? Let's see if you agree or not. Our second reading was this fascinating story we all know well about the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand. On uh, Friday afternoon, uh, sitting in the shade, you'd be pleased to hear, um, I was uh, enjoying uh, school sports day and watching my two grandsons and beaming with pride as my elder grandson proved himself the fastest boy in school. <laughs> And sitting next door to Bob, who's a very dear friend, another granddad, and we were chatting away. And I said, what are you doing this weekend, Bob? Oh, he said, um, we're camping on Lowestoft Beach. <laughs> so I said, oh, really? Yeah, he said, there's a light festival. And I was thinking about that. What happens if the wind blows? <laughs> How on earth do you get the tent, the pegs in, on the sand to, <laughs> to hold? I don't know. I shall find out next week how he got on. <laughs> I think he was pretty hot at one point. Anyway, um, it, it reminds us of this story, doesn't it? Of, uh, and, and how important um, foundations are, but how impatient we can get. I suspect the guy who built his house on sand, he was just so impatient to get the house up, <laughs> that he wouldn't, wouldn't take the time. And I think we do the same with so much of it in our own lives, but, but, but certainly in the way we perhaps don't take enough time over building foundations in people's lives. When, uh, when we were up in Oldham in the 80s, we had two big building projects. We built a new church, which was fabulous, and we built, uh, a, 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 that was a, a sort of plant, and then we built a, a new uh, com um, complex on, we knocked a hole in the side of the parish church and built a new complex onto it. It was absolutely exhausting to have two of them going at the same time, but we did them. Hallelujah, and where, how else we did it, the Lord did. Um, but the interesting thing was, uh, our house was next to the, to the parish church, and so I would watch day after day as the workmen came and worked on our new church centre, our, our new complex. And it seemed it was weeks and weeks and weeks, and I couldn't see anything. Absolutely nothing. So I thought, oh, I wonder if they're having tea breaks all day. <laughs> so I went out to chat to them and talked to the foreman one day, and I said, 
And Jack, I'm getting a little bit um, <laughs> frustrated here. You know, I'm going to see this thing. Oh, don't worry, Chris, he said. What we're doing in these quite long weeks is we're doing the most important work. If we don't get this right, however beautiful your new centre looks, it won't last long. But once we get the foundations done, it will be up in no time. And that was the thing. That's exactly what happened. It took weeks and months to put the foundations down, but after that, it was up in a shot. And we, it takes patience to build foundations, doesn't it? And it takes patience to build strong, solid foundations in the lives of young Christians. But not just young Christians. Christians have been on the right road a while, but the foundations have never been laid strongly enough and properly enough. How important it is. You see, it's not just a few weeks of a lecture group. If you're going to lay proper, strong enough foundations that will enable you to go on growing to maturity till the day we go to be with the Lord. Now, to do this, we've so often relied on big church, but I wonder, I wonder how many sermons you remember. If you ask me next week, I probably can't remember what I talked about this morning. Knowing this. But I tell you there was one person who would always know what was going, what, what had been said in church on Sunday. Jackie used to come with her notebook every Sunday and she would scribble away. And then a house group on Wednesday, she would remind us of these things that the rest of us had all forgotten, of course, but she hadn't. She got it all written down. And she said, one of the reasons I do it is that it keeps me um, from nodding off during the sermon. Are you, are you still with me over there? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I'm just too jolly lazy, but I think it's a very good idea. Don't you? We aim to work out, uh, of course, the material that we do on Sundays in small groups. Yes, of course. Uh, but of course, um, small groups, um, house groups and so on, are just for keenies who have time, aren't they? Well, not if the early church is anything to go by. If you look at the end of Acts chapter 2, after Luke recall, records the, what happened on the day of Pentecost, at the very end of the chapter, 42 to 46, he talks about 3,000 people becoming Christians. Well, how did they grow after? No nurture groups. <laughs> how did they grow? Well, we read about it. We read about it in Acts chapter 2, 42 to 46. Um, and uh, they had everything in common, we, we, we read. And with great joy, they met uh, in the temple regularly and house to house. So it was big church and little church going on all the time. No one considered that what they had was their own. They shared everything to anyone who was in need. And great joy came upon them all. And uh, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's a, just a, it's a stunning piece, that little bit at the end of Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4. So a bit in chapter 4 as well. So, big church and little church were vital in this early church as they sought to build one another up. In other words, they shared their lives. Paul says to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, um, because you were so dear to us, as he writes them, you were so dear to us, we were willing, we were prepared to, to share with you not just the gospel, but our very selves. We, we shared our lives with you. Because we cared about you so much. Now, if you're going to share your life with, with one another, which you can't do on a, a, a big church on Sunday morning, we're going to know a number, a small number, well, 
you can edit it in a small group. I, I felt privileged to be a member here for 11 years, and I know, and you know, that I'm looking at a whole load of real gems today, aren't I? You've blessed me more than I can say. And I know a lot of you a little bit. I'd love to know you more. But the trouble is I can't. Because you can only know a small number of people really well, can't you? Just a fact of life, isn't it? So the small group becomes more and more important. It doesn't mean to say I'm not going to try and get to know you better on a Sunday morning too. It's Jesus' model for discipleship, isn't it? 70, 12, 3, 1. 70. That's the big teaching. That, that's the big church. That's what we often are on Sunday. I don't know what we are this morning. Let's say we're about Sunday. I don't know. And so Jesus would spend a lot of time teaching them, wouldn't he? But then, actually, um, most of them would then go off to their own homes. But just 12 of them would go to his, wherever he went, or he would go with them. And they would live together, and they'd eat and sleep and walk and talk and listen, and they shared their lives together, and Jesus shared his life with them. But even then, after three years of doing that, they weren't the finished article, were they? See, not mature disciples by that stage. We were hearing last week, weren't we, what were they saying? Who's the greatest? Absolutely. But he goes deeper still with three, doesn't he? You know, with Peter, James, and John, those experiences like Apollo Martin and Transfiguration, experiencing things they've never imagined possible. And there are only a small number of people you can do that with other. But you know, I think there's, a, there's also a one. The one to one is important too, isn't there? And John's one of my favourites. I love the way he, he describes himself. You know he describes himself in his gospel? The one whom Jesus loved. I'm not going to boast. I'm not going to tell you what my name is. I'm just going to say that he's changed my life because I know he loves me. And it and, and, I, and, and clearly, Jesus shared things with John at a very personal, intimate level. I love the bit on, on the Last Supper, when we've had the foot washing, and Jesus is teaching them, and uh, uh, he says to you, one of you is going to betray me. And John, we read, is reclining next to Jesus. And Peter sidles up to him and says, ask him who he's talking. In other words, he'll tell you who I know. <laughs> because Jesus shares secrets with John. You see, the wonder, one of the wonderful things about the Christian faith to me is that it's unique in, from all other, all other faiths in that um, everywhere else we're reaching out trying to find God. But <laughs> actually, we've discovered that actually our God in Jesus Christ has come down to us. He's been looking for us. He's revealed, he's revealed himself to us. But we can only know Jesus what he chooses to reveal. We know enough. We'd like to know more, wouldn't we? We will one day. Now, it's the same for us, isn't it? You think you know this old codger quite well, don't you? I'll tell you, you don't know the half. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you at the moment. I'd like to. I really would like to have a much deeper and more open relationship with a few people. Um, and I need help with that. But 
you choose to what you choose to reveal. And we all have, you know, ways of looking after ourselves, don't we? But wouldn't you wouldn't you like I would, I really would like to get to the place where people really, a small number of people, really know me. Risky. And you can only do it with people you trust and you know, love you, and only have your best in their hearts. But that's part of discipleship, isn't it? That's where we want to go. Um, and it takes time to build relationships like that, doesn't it? But without them, we won't grow to the maturity as disciples that Christ really longs for us. Let me just quote from what was a wonderful book I, I read as a student. Don't think it's available now. Keith Miller's book, New Wine, New Wine Skins, in which he writes, Churches today are filled with people who outwardly look contented and at peace, but are inwardly crying out for someone to love them. Confused, frustrated, guilty, often unable to communicate even with their own families. But the problem is that other people they see in church look so happy and content and self-sufficient. So they've never had the courage to admit their deepest needs. Well, that may, may be so. You must judge for yourself whether that's, that's right or not. Roy Clements in his commentary on Acts says this, we need to encourage people to step outside that social paralysis born of the inhibiting fear of rejection so that they can discover warm, intimate, personal relationships with others. And small groups are the key to such fellowship. If we're going to feel that we really belong, there has to be a small group experience Somewhere. Now, somewhere. That doesn't mean to say that everybody must be in a house group. Some people can't be. I happen to think they're extremely good things. But last week, um, we came up with, I don't know, how, how many, did anyone count them? Did you count them up, Ben? How many of these groups there were in the church? Colossal number. We were in church last week. We were, <laughs> I don't know, 30, 40? Were we? I don't know. More, maybe? huge number of groups of people who are doing things in life together. Now, every one of those can be a place where we can grow as disciples. It doesn't just have to be that we're, you know, we're, 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 we're doing the gardening together, but actually we could do more than that. We could actually journey together. And we can do it in any group we're in. It takes time, of course. Whatever we're doing, we can grow in relationship with each other and with Jesus and to mature disciples. Well, let me, as I finish, let, let me, let me um, come into land. What are we aiming at? We're aiming at strong foundations. And part of those strong foundations are making sure that people know beyond a shadow of a doubt strongly on this rock who they are in Christ. You probably know the story of Princess Elizabeth. Uh, when she was a lot younger, our dear Queen, uh, and she was out walking in the forest near Balmoral with her sister Margaret one day, and they got totally lost. And they came to, the, to this cottage, knocked on the door, and said to the dear lady who's uh, behind the door, I wonder who can help us, we're totally lost. And she said, come in, come in, my loves, have a cup of tea. <laughs> so in they went and had a cup of tea, and she said, do you mind telling me who you are? <laughs> Elizabeth's reply was, oh, I'm nobody, but my father is the king. I like that, don't you? 
She knew exactly who she was because her father's the dean. Now, isn't that wonderful? We may feel we're nobody, but our father is the king. And people need to know that deep in the gut where it really matters on the rock. Strong foundations, don't they? It's helping us to know God through his word and then helping us to live it out what we know. As you know, that the word, word disciple means learner. And we've all got L plates on uh, all through life. We never stop, do we? Because we're learning to put it into practice. Alan will like this bit. Um, when I was a student, um, I was uh, in, um, very much helped by the NAVs, the navigators. And one of the things that I'm still enormously grateful for is TMS. TMS is? Topical memory system. Thank you. The topical memory system. I'll check you afterwards. <laughs> I've still got them out there. <laughs> I've had these cards since the late 60s, and on them are a, a, a whole I've got some others too. Loads of verses with the reference, and uh, it tells you what, how to use them. And I would sit on the bus as a student, going up and down to college, learning my verses. And we had a bit of a mini revival in our college and university. About 52 people became Christians in two years. It was just fantastic, and many of my dearest friends these days. And we all got onto this. We were all doing the TMS, and we were quizzing each other, you know, who can remember their verses whenever we meet up. It was so good. And I can't tell you what it's done for me now. Now I can remember, you know, this isn't quite so good now, but I'll be remembering. But I really, really, really commend to you the learning of Scripture. Now, I know it's not as easy as it used to be, because we, in, 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 the, in the 60s we had the authorised version and the RSV, and that was about it. <clears throat> but these days we've got the NIV and the NLT and the ESV, and I don't, I don't know what we have got. But uh, it doesn't, you don't have to get it absolutely, it doesn't matter which version you do, but I really commend to you the learning of verses. Write each them up, write them on a card. I still, I still have these. I still take them with me from time to time. And when I have a spare moment, <coughs> having a coffee somewhere, I'll get them out. Don't test me just at the moment, darling, please. I recommend it. Now, some of us need to know more scripture. But my problem now is not knowing more scripture. My problem now is living more scripture. And that's where I need help to live it out. And that's where the small group, that's where the twelve, that's where the three, that's where the one-to-one -one become so important. Uh, when I was at Quinton, my last parish, we, I had one of the great joys was uh, I um, ran a discipleship group of 12 for young Christians in their 20s. It was the most fabulous thing I, I think I've done for years. And um, I, I want to share with you, to, I'm coming into land, are you still with me? Two minutes, yes? I think we're still awake just about. Um, I want to share with you a couple of pieces of material that I, uh, to, for you to take home, uh, that I used there. But uh, one of the great joys this week will be uh, one of those, 12, Joe, uh, I shall be in Manchester, Birmingham Cathedral at 3.30 on Saturday afternoon and see her ordained where she's going to be curate at St. John's Harbour on 
So it's a great thrill, I have to say. Um, and we spent two years together and, and grew together. We need good examples, don't we? Paul says, um, imitate me as I, as I imitate the Lord. Um, who are you imitating? Who's worth imitating? Or another question, who's imitating you? Just a thought. So what does the mature disciple look like? I'm just going to give you, I've finished now, so I'm just going to give you, um, I've got some helpers, haven't I? Pat, could you give those out to Trevor, please? Those on Zoom, they're getting two pieces of paper which will be available at the office, and, and uh, Amanda can let you have a copy if you'd like one. The first one, um, and as you're getting it, you might like to look at it, um, is entitled Marks of a Disciple. Um, Forty years ago, my father in law David Watson, wrote a marvellous book called Discipleship. David Watson suggests a number of possible marks of a mature disciple. And they're all here on this sheet. And um, I'm pleased to say that he, he um, puts Bible references with them. So you can look them up and think about them. Now, um, just for those who are on the screen, are you, is he or she willing to serve? He or she willing, learning to listen, willing to learn, willing to be corrected? How well does he or she submit to those over him or her? Can he share his life with others in open and honest fellowship? Learning humility, learning to examine his own life before criticizing others, know his weaknesses, learning to overcome them, is she a perfectionist? Learning to accept herself, is he able to forgive? Has he got stickability? Is he to be trusted? And so on. There's a lot there. And there's a lot of stuff that actually we need each other to help with. Now, um, in your groups, whether it's a home group or one of your working groups, you may like to use these and um, gently talk about them together. I would certainly like people to tell me um, how they see me. Because, I, I, you see, we can see how we feel about the answers to these questions. But is that how I come across? Is that how people see me? Do I appear to be doing that? Um, I'd, I'd like some help with it. So, you like my talk about that? Okay. You look thrilled. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> now, the other one, um, I've used in my own life for a long time. Came across this in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, it's from John Wesley. And it's quoted in our, the book that, that, that um, was the basis of our um, um, series, the, the Challenge of Cell Church, by Phil Potter. Um, John Wesley used to get his holy club, as it was called, into groups. And he would ask them to examine themselves before the Lord, as it were. And this was one set of questions that people would use in their own life. I used them quite a bit in my own life. Now, might encourage you to do the same, but let me just add one little health warning, and that is, if you're predisposed, as I am, to, to feel rather negatively about yourself, you can look at this lot and say, I'm absolutely hopeless, I'm a worm and no man. <laughs> so, don't allow that to happen, because actually these are intended to be helpful, and actually the answer is, you're not a worm and no man, uh, you're not what you were at all. And, and God is making, is doing good things in your life. But 
I think you'll find that it's a real help um, in your own walk. One final thought, and I've gone on too long this morning, which I always do when I'm in pain and tired. Um, when Mao Zedong uh, took over in China, years ago now, you'll remember that all the churches were closed and the church went underground. And people were praying for the church in China, wondering whether it would survive. Years later, when Mao died and the doors were opened, to our amazement, we found that not only had the church survived, it had grown like wildfire under the surface in the homes in which people met. And one thought, this morning, as we worship here, right now, there are in homes and small groups in China, worshipping the Lord right now, more people doing that than there are in the whole of Western Europe together. Because they're all doing it in their small group where they live together. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning, the privilege of worshipping together this morning, the privilege of remembering Jesus in the way us to. And Lord, now send us out in the power of your spirit, we pray, to live for you. Amen. Amen. Go with confidence into the days ahead, trusting in God's unfailing love and faithfulness. God will not abandon you, for you are the work of his hands, his own creation, and his love endures forever. So go with joy to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.